Hello and welcome to the Muni Lowdown. My name is Paul Graves and I'm the managing editor for Deadwire Municipals. Joining me today for the first time, I must say, in quite a few weeks, maybe a month, is the entire crew. Seth Brumby, our deputy editor, Marianne Ty, our assistant editor, and our head of municipal research, Greg Clark. So, why don't we just jump into things? Uh, apparently, our president, Donald Trump, also doubles as a black swan um, with this news uh, or his comments about Puerto Rico and the bonds that are out there. I'll direct it to you first, Seth, but I'm sure everybody probably has a comment on what happened this week and the resulting impact it had on bond trading and some of these calls that it's been a, we have an existential threat to the municipal market. Do you see this as an existential threat, Seth? No, I don't. That said, it's not the first time that a president has weighed in on a high-profile restructuring. The comments that he made uh, early this week was essentially to say that uh, we need to wipe out Puerto Rico's debt. And I think for people that have been following Puerto Rico, that's pretty obvious, although the market sell-off seemed to act like it was a huge surprise. I mean, the, the benchmark geos... Where, where were if I must jump in and say we need to tell the audience that he made these comments to Geraldo Rivera. That, if you had told me we would connect Geraldo Rivera, Trump, and the municipal market, I probably would have said you're crazy. <laughs> Unprecedented. Well, yeah, well, it, I mean, it never ceases to amaze me. Um, it's been a really heavy news cycle this entire year. There's never a shortage of things to write about uh, when Donald Trump is in the picture. But, yeah, no, the, the entire $75 billion credit complex sold off. I mean, wh where are the benchmark bonds now, Mary Ellen? Yeah, the, there's this 2014 issuance that everyone sort of looks to to determine where the general obligation bonds should be. And they traded as low as in the low 30s Wednesday morning following Trump's comments. They've come up a little, but they haven't returned to the 44 cents on the dollar that they were trading at before. What's pretty amazing about that price is that it doesn't completely take into account the fact that the federally appointed oversight board wants to give those bondholders 25 cents on the dollar. And I think the reason why bonds never actually dipped into the 20s is because there's still a litigation optionality that bondholders have in hopes of maybe increasing their recovery. But with Hurricane Maria, and then Donald Trump's comments of wiping out the bonds seem to convince bondholders that they need to reprice their risk. So in that sense, maybe there was a little bit of market coming, you know, realizing just that they have a lot further to fall. But I also, on the same time, think that the reaction was a little bit overdone. I don't think that this is an existential threat to the municipal market. But that said, um, I think the municipal market just broadly, and I, I've believed this for the past six or seven years, needs to learn how to price risk a little better and move away from the more market and supply, excuse me, the supply and demand market dynamics that it's had and more toward fundamental credit research. So that's just my two cents on this situation. That, that's very well put, Seth. One of the things I thought was don't people realize that Trump can't wipe out the bonds on his own. You've got a court system in place and you've got a federally appointed control board in place and he can't interfere, obviously he can't interfere with the judges. The members of the control board can only be removed for cause. So that pretty much takes that off the table. So I think as far as the market overreacting, I think that's, that's a valid point. Uh, but 
again, whether the the risk should have been priced in better is also a valid point, and maybe that's a belated way of doing it. That said, there are uh, there's one thing that I, I am looking at, too, and I don't see any reason why this would change, but there are two lawsuits right now that are challenging the constitutionality of the oversight board. Uh, one is from Aurelius, which is a hedge fund that is a big holder of general obligation bonds, and the other one, I believe, is Assured Guarantee, one of the bond insurers. And they essentially sit there and said that the oversight board was appointed in a manner that is not constitutional. So they're essentially suing the U.S. government, and the Solicitor General for the United States uh, has to, I think it's the Solicitor General, um, has to respond by early November about whether or not it plans on, um, well, answering for the fact or trying to defend uh, the appointment of the oversight board. Unless Donald Trump says, I'm not going to direct my Solicitor General to defend this, I think it's pretty much, I think what he's going to do is to probably defer to the Oversight Board and let them handle it. If he does turn around and say, you know what, I'm not going to defend ProMesa, I'm not going to defend the appointment over the Oversight Board, okay, that would be a red flag to me that maybe he wants to start over with Puerto Rico. Definitely. Fun fact about the Solicitor General, Seth just mentioned, that lawsuit has been, we've seen a lot of delays in Puerto Rico litigation. That one has been delayed but not for a reason related to the hurricane, but because the Solicitor General was just appointed. So he hadn't had time, well, I'm not sure if it's a man or a woman, they hadn't had time to be properly briefed to file documents in the court. So they had to ask for a month-long extension in order to just give themselves time to get up to speed. And just appointed Mary Ellen would have been, I think it was September 20th or the 19th? Within the last, I would say, month. Okay. And there was also something else that was delayed, the implementation of the furloughs has been put on ice for a while, but that seemed like a no-brainer because like right now we're taping this, it's Thursday, uh, October 5th, Thursday afternoon. Uh, so just to have that context, and down in Puerto Rico, there's about 9% of the people that have power, about 54% of the people have water, 35% of the ATMs are working, uh, majority of the supermarkets are back open, um, cell phone coverage is very shoddy down on the island, uh, telecommunications in general is very difficult. Uh, so it just seems with all that that context, it seems very difficult that they could decide to furlough people. I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts on that in terms of, like, do you see the furloughs coming back anytime soon, given that there's going to be a long rebuild? I mean, the furloughs were based on the government. So the Oversight Board gave the government two options. They could either build up a certain cash cushion or they could furlough employees in order to have that cash. And everyone we've talked to has said that that binary option was because of their plan, their fiscal plan for the next 10 years. And everyone we've talked to says that plan needs to be rewritten. So it seems to me that we're starting over sort of at square one and we'll see what's in the next fiscal plan. And just to add to that too, uh, the, uh, you know, the oversight board and Governor Rosseo have not seen eye to eye on every issue and the furloughs was really a big uh, point of contention for them. And, in fact, the Oversight Board, I believe, even tried to sue Governor Rosseo to implement the furloughs, and they withdrew that lawsuit this week. And I think a large part has to do with the fact that the Oversight Board recognizes the immense amount of pressure the governor is under, 
and just the immensity of the task of rebuilding the island and and pursuing furloughs at this point and a lawsuit to compel him is really the last thing that people need to do. And if there's anything that Hurricane Maria has done that's been positive for the island, it's it's created a little more solidarity between Roseo and the oversight board. So maybe since they're on the same page, they can show a united front in other areas. Well, speaking of hurricanes, uh, there was Hurricane Harvey that had a severe impact on the city of Houston. But meanwhile, they still had this vote coming up in November regarding pension obligation bonds. Uh, Marianne, can you give us an update on what's going on there? Are they still going forward? Are they going to delay that? Thanks, Paul. Yeah, Houston's officials are saying they're still going to try and do a billion dollars of pension obligation bonds and 500 million of general obligation bonds. The residents will get to vote on that November 7th. They've made some comments about how much more. So Houston has had a pension funding problem and the pension obligation bonds would sort of free up the general fund a little. They've been saying that now with the hurricane and the costs of recovery from that, it's even more critical that the residents pass this pension obligation bond measure because the general fund revenues are really much more needed to go to hurricane relief and cleaning up debris and replacing city property rather than funding pensions. Whether that logic holds in the voting booth, it's hard to say when you're asking somebody to approve a billion dollars in bonds right after a hurricane when somebody might be out of, job and they, out of a job and they have their own expenses. It's a tough call. And the only other alternative I would see there is to raising revenue, which means taxes. And, you know, I don't think they don't want to do that either the state level or even the local level. Um, and, you know, we'll see how that shakes out, though. But, yeah, the pension obligation bond issue in Houston is something that we've been watching for a long time. And the referendum, you know, we thought might have been called into question by Hurricane Harvey, but it looks as though they're, they're proceeding as planned. Yeah, the only difference there is they, the mayor had talked about doing a temporary tax hike. And the governor gave the city $50 million, and so the mayor has sort of walked back that proposal. So that's the only big change we've seen. There's no good time for a hurricane to hit, but in the case of Houston and Puerto Rico, I guess it's safe to say that it couldn't be much of a worse time. I wish the city of Houston good luck, because that, that dollar amount just seems like optically that's going to be really tough, given that people are just trying to get back on their feet to put it towards pensions that are somewhere out in the future. But it'll be interesting and it'll be something to follow. But let's keep moving on with developments around the country. Greg, what's going on with Pennsylvania and Connecticut? Pennsylvania, neither state has a budget yet, although some people claim that Pennsylvania has a budget because they've, they've passed a spending plan but no revenue plan. My vote on that is, no, you don't have a budget. They... I love that we mock them for this every <laughs> single week. I, well, we I, have I'm to. married, but my wife doesn't, you know, my girlfriend <laughs> doesn't want to become my wife yet, but I'm, I'm all ready for it. Right. Uh. <laughs> I, I saw an article today that said uh, Connecticut is still, the only, is still the only state without a budget, and I said, oh, I'm not going to go on a campaign about this, but anyway, Pennsylvania uh, won't reconvene the Pennsylvania House won't reconvene until at least October 16th so you've got more than a week before they're either before they're ever going to have a budget part of the problem there is you've got uh, Governor Wolf who's a Democrat and the House and Senate 
in Pennsylvania each have substantial Republican majorities. It's starting to affect higher education. Right now, it's going to solve about $600 million in, in state aid to Penn State, Temple, and a couple of other state-backed schools. The governor's latest gambit is he says that he may try to borrow $1.2 billion against future revenues of the, of the state liquor control board. That would apparently pay for last year's deficit, maybe part of this year's. The liquor control board transferred $210 million last year to the general fund, so the revenues are definitely there. Whether this is a good idea in general, there will still be some kind of hit to the general fund going forward if they do this, but that's the, uh, that's the state of things there. The governor, in, in one news report that I read, was reported as, quote, reacting. He was visibly angry as he talked to the press. So it's, uh, things are not going real well there. In Connecticut, the, uh, there's a, a slightly different political dynamic. The governor there, Malloy, is a Democrat. The House is Democrat. Uh, I forget the majority there. But the state Senate is split 18 to 18. So I don't see how you can get anything done there. The governor is currently hoping for a budget by October 13th, again, about a week away. Two days ago, the House, which is, again, which is Democratic, declined to override a budget veto by the governor. So apparently you've got some intra-party squabbling there too. And that's, again, it's another situation. I can't see where that's going to be resolved soon. These, these states, each, neither state is in Illinois territory yet. Illinois, as many people will remember, went two years without a budget. We're on the verge of, of a third year, but they finally caved to pressure from the markets and the rating agencies. So it's, it's I guess, three, four months now for each state, but neither state seems to be on the verge of adopting a budget right away. Well, Connecticut does have its own trigger looming. I think that might have been one of the things with Illinois uh, that never really happened. I mean, Chicago was never staring at a bond default during the two years that Illinois was out of budget. Uh, certainly, it went through a lot of credit stress during that time, but it, it made its bond payments. If Hartford doesn't get state aid, which is can't happen until Hartford has its own budget, you know, Hartford could default on its own short-term debt that comes due at the end of this month. So maybe that spurs the government to act, but so far what we've seen doesn't seem like they're going to. Yeah, Hartford, the mayor has said that he needs sustained and a big increase in state aid or else things will not go well for the city or for its debt holders even in the best situations right now, I can't see where the city is. City of Hartford is going to get that that level of aid. All right. Looks like these two are just going to be dragging on for a bit longer. But now let's take the podcast in a completely it's related but a little different direction. Seth, what is opioids? Opioids in the municipal market. Explain to me the connection here. So one of the Larger high-yield asset classes in the municipal market are tobacco bonds. We call them tobacco bonds because they've essentially taken a revenue stream tied to payments from tobacco manufacturers as a result of the master settlement agreement that state attorney generals had 
with uh, Big Tobacco back in the late 90s. Um, this settlement was related to all of the health issues caused by smoking and all of the, uh, let's just say, lack of evidence-based reality on behalf of the tobacco companies to be honest about just how addictive and how dangerous tobacco was. So uh, long story short, they win a settlement, the, the AGs win a settlement from the tobacco companies. Tobacco companies avoid bankruptcy and now on an annual basis since 1999, the tobacco companies have been paying states tobacco payments. Um, states viewed this as an asset that would depreciate over time, so they did the smart thing like anybody else would do. They sold their asset to financing corporations back in the early aughts and issued billions of dollars of debt that was used for anything from deficit financing, which they shouldn't be used for, um, but mainly capital improvements and also funding their own health care systems and Medicaid payments too. Opioids are starting to look somewhat like tobacco. Uh, there was news this week out of New Jersey that the Attorney General in New Jersey is planning on filing a lawsuit against two opioid manufacturers, Purdue Pharma and Insist Therapeutics, um, both of which that, you know, this is perfectly legal. They, they market pain mitigation drugs that are opioids to doctors and doctors prescribe them. And I think what the AG is looking at in New Jersey, like the AGs in Ohio, Illinois, Mississippi, and which have all filed lawsuits against the debate, or excuse me, the opioid companies, is let me look at the marketing efforts between the pharmaceutical companies and the doctors, because this could be where um, things are going awry. As we all know, the opioid overdoses are a healthcare epidemic in much of the U.S., and I think what the states are trying to do is doing what they can to stem this. So you have um, an idea, and we're trying to forecast here into the future, but assuming that the attorney generals are victorious, and this could take years, um, but would this be another securitized revenue stream for states? In which case you have someone of a, I'm just going to call it a, a morbid security, which is uh, revenue backed by uh, opioid payments. So that's really what we're looking at. It's something that maybe we'll see if, if it does happen in the future. Obviously, tobacco caused a lot of harm in the market, but sta states managed to actually get a windfall from those settlements. I don't know. I, I kind of prefer bonds backed by pot if we're going to choose a, a securitized structure here. But not a whole lot of states have legalized marijuana at this point. Um, this certainly is a very intriguing issue to see how this develops because you kind of see this momentum building and obviously government's always looking for a new revenue source and this seems like something that could be a possibility but it also reminds me of another government that's dealing or grappling with trying to get a new revenue source off the ground that's cook county illinois uh home of chicago uh, that's got a soda tax vote coming up next week. And today, as we're talking, the Cook County president, Tony per Perkwinkle, is delivering the fiscal 18 budget and saying that they've reached a moment of truth. And uh, if they decide to repeal the soda tax, that they'll have to close uh, mental health clinics. And it just... That's always an interesting thing with, all, with any these kind of uh, situations in terms of just, you know, on the one hand, taxing people, on the other hand, the health benefits. And uh, I can't really say I know any health benefits with soda, but then 
you know, you have this tax going in a, the, that's clearly regressive. Um, so there's a lot of interesting things going on between this nexus of, you know, municipalities looking for revenue and health issues, circling us all back to the opioid uh, crisis. I mean, that's clearly taken on national attention. So be something to watch. Well, hope everyone's enjoyed this latest edition of the Muni Lowdown, and we'll talk to you next week.